Hi folks, Neil here. We want to help answer all your questions about Rome. That's why you can listen to this episode in the Circa app for iPhone and get all the show notes, pictures, maps, and links you need to find everything we tell you about in this Rome guide. Best of all, in the Circa app, you can message a Circa concierge and you can get any question about Rome answered by real people right here. The best way to visit the Colosseum, how to get around, where to find an absolutely beautiful carbonara. We're giving you a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, no AI ever. And for a limited time, it's completely free. The Circa Travel app is available in the App Store right now or at circatravel.com. Welcome to Circa. This is an episode about what it means to be Roman. Throw away all your preconceptions about time, leisure, wellness, and pleasure. Most of these concepts actually have their origin in the Eternal City, infused in beauty, baths, incredible spas, and piazzas where you can spend hours on end. Romans know the art of pleasure. In this episode, we will take you back into Roman times to enjoy a good spa day, we will explain the etiquette of piazza culture, and we will try, emphasis on try, to explain to you how we Romans value time. With that in mind, we're going to tell you a lot, but don't worry. There will be maps, notes, and info on the places mentioned in the guides in the Circa app, as well as all of the other full guide episodes to this wonderful city. So, just sit back, put your headphones on, and enjoy. It's pleasure time. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. In Rome, there is always tomorrow. C'è sempre domani. To understand the mentality behind saying this is to understand Romanity. Because you see, time is not something that is meant to stress you out. Being late or making last-minute plans is not rude here. It is spontaneous. Ancient Romans were the OG pleasure seekers. So much so that they invented vacations and spas, but more on that later. Not only were they innovators in engineering, games and sports, but also in the custom of leaving the chaos of the city to go on holiday. By the way, we owe the famous European August bank holiday to them too. The word derives from the Latin feria Augusti, Augustus rest, in honor of the emperor Octavian Augustus, from whom the month of August takes its name. A period of celebrations and rest for all citizens established by the emperor in 18 BC. So yes, we know how to enjoy life. But what I want is for you to truly understand what this culture means for us, no matter when you visit. La Dolce Vita not the movie. One phrase you need to learn, il dolce far niente, the sweetness of doing nothing. Poetic, right? 
We take time for simply staring at the sky or at the ceiling. It is a time we value as constructive. Einstein said that most of his best ideas came whilst riding bikes through the forest and or staring at the ceiling. Well, we are masters at that. But what does it mean in practice? If there is someone that knows about Il Dolce Farniente, it's my friend Rachel. Rachel is a tour guide turned yoga teacher turned Dolce Vita expert. She came here 10 years ago from Asheville, North Carolina, and never left. In the past decade, she has guided countless people on tours all over Rome, exploring food, history, and wellness. To me, Il Dolce Farniente is much more than simply doing nothing. It is an active decision. A place where you let go of the need to achieve and to check off a to-do list and surrender into allowing everything to unfold in front of you. There is no action, per se, and yet it takes concentration. So there's something that's comically difficult about not planning ahead in today's modern society. It's funny to think that you can learn as much from emulating a dressed-up nonna gossiping with her friends and smoking cigarettes in a sunny piazza as you could in an immersive weekend of meditation. But honestly, I feel like Rome and her daily idiosyncrasies have taught me as much about staying in the present moment as any self-help course or retreat ever has. You might see when you walk around people simply sitting on benches, not reading a book, not listening to music, simply existing, watching the world go by. A trip to the florist in Rome may take you two hours because you meet Filippo, your local florist in Campo dei Fiori Market, and you've known him for years, and he asks you how your family is and tells you about his. Then he gives you a rose or offers you a coffee. Then on your way home, you come by your favorite gelateria, Gelateria del Teatro, and you have to stop to get one, pistacchio e cacao. Or perhaps you want a healthier option. Try Fata Morgana with various locations from Piazza del Popolo to Piazza Re di Roma. They offer dairy alternative ice creams and gluten-free cones. And then you're walking home with gelato on your shirt and flowers in your hand. And you're happy. So, yeah, the culture is one of patience. It's one of c'è sempre domani, or there's always tomorrow. So I personally still make to-do lists, which is definitely a habit left over from the first 22 years of my life in the U.S. But here, I make them for a week, or a month, or sometimes even a season. There's a lack of urgency in Rome, and it makes for a life where spontaneity is more accepted and definitely much more appreciated. Living in Rome has actually given me the perspective to truly embody what it means to arrive and exist in the present moment. When you visit Italy, it's pretty easy to observe the ease of the Italians. But it's also easy to observe the chaos between the moments of ease. So I think you have to consciously embrace all of the contrasts of the eternal city before you can actually understand the sweetness of doing nothing. And then, once you get it, I think the experience in Rome becomes infinitely more enjoyable. I want to tell you about one of my absolute favorite Italian things ever. One of the most quintessential, timeless, and unapologetic activities of this incredible peninsula. One that is ageless and gathers people of all walks and sizes. But it is truly at its most beautiful when it involves the city's grandmothers and grandfathers. That is, my friend, card games. Briscola, scopa, and burraco. 
These card games are to Italians like stringy mozzarella in a suppli, the guanciale on a carbonara, part of the fabric of life. There's no better way to spend an afternoon or a relaxed evening than playing cards with old friends in front of a nice glass of wine. Honestly, it's incredible how far Romans go in order to chill. If you walk through Villa Borghese, one of Rome's largest and most beautiful parks, you'll see couples of grandparents sitting down on benches. And then you'll see picnic goers. But not the normal kind with checkered cloths and wrapped panini. People actually bring tables with them, chairs and whole sets of plates and cutlery. They create their own little restaurants out in the open, usually under a big oak tree. And aside from the impressive quantities of food and whatnot, look out for the after-lunch activities. It's not anything that involves moving an inch. It's card tournaments. If you want to play around Rome, though, just be aware of your setting. Trendy or upscale restaurants frown upon card playing as they don't want to be mistaken for a gambling venue, or bisca as we call it. Gambling is illegal here. There are no casinos in Rome. So it's sort of understandable. I personally think that the real reason is that they see it as something too folkloristic, too provincial, and old school for certain locations. But that's also the beauty of it. Head out to most trattorie or most traditional restaurants and bars, and you'll be good to play. Go to a Passata la Moretta restaurant in Vicolo della Moretta if you feel like throwing away your plans and spending a day you surely deserve. One that is simply dedicated to basking in the glory that is a long, boozy, sunny lunch, whilst playing several hands of cards. Their wine list is quite impressive as well, and that always helps. But remember, bring your own deck of cards and good friends to play with. And if you're lucky enough to befriend others playing, they might just invite you to join forces. If you're more into looking rather than playing, head off to Bar del Fico in Piazza del Fico. The square takes its name from the fig tree located on the piazza and sip a coffee whilst witnessing the area's older folks play chess under the big tree and green leaves. Another thing you should know is Romans are extremely welcoming and hospitable. At a restaurant, it is perfectly acceptable to add chairs to a table if friends join in the night. Because the important thing is that people are not stressed. So if you only want to join for aperitivo or maybe come later for a drink, c'è sempre spazio. There's always space. I always say that the time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. This is our culture. It is infused with beauty and relaxation and great food. And it has been for thousands of years, including this next activity, a most wonderful ancient Roman tradition. The Roman Baths Just off Circo Massimo, this 3rd century ancient Roman spa was built for one purpose only, the enjoyment of the Romans. The Baths of Caracalla were inaugurated under the name of Terme Antoniane and are one of the largest and best preserved examples of an ancient spa. Actually, and this shocked me too, the word spa is in fact a Roman acronym meaning sanus per aquam, held through water. Built under the Emperor Caracalla, the baths exhibit the typical rectangular plan of imperial spas. 
The spa itself was not simply a place to bathe, do sports and take care of one's health, but it was also a place of study and relaxation. Around the center of the structure, the various parts of the spa were located in the following order. The calidarium, hot bath, the tepidarium, warm bath, and the frigidarium, cold bath, and the natatio, a large pool. There were also other areas and zones around the two gymnasiums. The spas were made possible by one of the most incredible achievements of the Roman civilization. The Roman aqueducts, dating back to 300, were actually a model of engineering and architecture that is still studied today. Most Roman aqueducts proved to be reliable and durable. Some survived into the early modern age. You can still see ruins today in lots of places in Rome. I love the Parco degli Acquedotti near the Lucio Sestio metro station. This parkland boasts ancient ruins, a well-preserved aqueduct and an old mill. If you can, go at sunset. The view is spectacular. For Romans, this was leisure time. But for all Romans, not just the elite. Bath culture means that everyone, no matter their social status, has access to some relaxing time. This explains how us Romans of today inherited the integration of enjoyment as something that is our right. The baths of Caracalla are one of the few cases in which it has been possible to in part reconstruct the original design. Huge columns and marble floors with oriental colors, mosaics, marble walls, painted stucco and areas decorated with hundreds of statues in the niches of the walls of the most important rooms and in the gardens. The baths were restored several times and ceased to function in 1537 AD. Today, the ruins of the baths are in a picturesque setting in the middle of a garden and surrounded by pine trees. The baths are open most days from 9 a.m. to one hour before sunset. I love the idea that their closing time is simply one hour before sunset. This is such a Roman thing, to know the time by looking at the sky. After your visit, you can have aperitivo at Il Vinificio in Testaccio. Think of natural wine and creative food in a hip neighborhood. Another bath you can visit if you want somewhere a bit less crowded is the Terme di Diocleziano, just off Termini, the main train station. The Diocleziano thermal complex is incredibly well reconstructed. It occupied an area as big as 12 soccer fields and was in one of the most densely populated areas of the capital. You can also get an idea of the size and scope of the baths from the Basilica of Santa Maria degli Angeli e dei Martiri, on which Michelangelo worked from 1561 until his death in 1564. The Diocleziano baths were not only famous for leisure, they were some of the most evocative monuments of the time. The decoration and works of art that made them beautiful were an example of the importance of beauty in Roman culture. 30-meter ceilings, bronze statues, marble floors of pink and blue and yellow and green, incredibly adorned columns, the baths were truly a work of art for everyone to enjoy. I'll put a link to a video on the reconstruction of the Diocleziano baths in the notes. Prepare to be mesmerized.
How to do a Roman bath. The truth is, ancient Roman baths were truly a social event. Sort of like a bar today. I asked Rachel to explain etiquette in the baths just for you. For me, the ancient Romans remain endlessly fascinating because of just how much their lives mimicked aspects of modern day in the 21st century. So when I think about the baths, I picture myself today, like in a modern day spa. The typical bathhouse was divided into male and female changing rooms that each had their own palestra or gym, which was a workout facility. So after they worked up a sweat, the Romans would commune in the tepidarium, a shallow bath which was filled with lukewarm water. Here, they would splash around, they would gossip with their friends, and they would even make business deals, trying to schmooze with potential new friends or business connections. Just like today's modern happy hour, a bath was for socializing, and the Romans knew that it was the place that you needed to go if you wanted to, you know, accidentally bump into someone you needed a small favor from. The baths were also known for their health purposes. In fact, it's from Hygieia, the ancient Roman goddess of health, that we literally get the modern word, hygiene. After the tepidarium, the Romans then would want a little more heat. So the calderium, or the heated rooms, were sauna-style rooms. They had dry heats, and they had steam rooms, like a modern-day Turkish bath. It's so surprising, honestly, to me, that the Romans understood the health benefits of various temperatures almost 2,000 years ago. So to finish off, they would then visit a cold plunge. They would emerge themselves in the frigidarium, which was an ancient Wim Hof method, one could say. They got out refreshed, clean, and possibly with a few new contacts in their Rolodex. The craziest part is that this wasn't a yearly thing or a monthly thing, The Romans often visited the baths a few times a week, and sometimes they actually visited them every single day. Roman beauty. What is fascinating about seeing the ruins of the city with a guide that tells you the whole story is that you can truly relate to the ancient Romans and probably even learn from them. We definitely have more in common with the ancient Romans than with societies of 500 years ago. Ancient Romans were very educated. Actually, more people were educated in ancient Rome than were educated just 200 years ago. They were into science, math, and they loved music and art. The Romans prided themselves on good conversation. They prided themselves on being both intellectually as well as anthropologically curious. For example, and you will know this by day two of your trip, beauty has an incredible importance in Rome. Every time a Roman is complaining about the city, they will often end their minute of lament with this phrase. Eh, però, quanta bella. But how beautiful is she? Rome's beauty is what absolves her from everything else. There is nothing worse for a Roman than a bad meal or a day not enjoyed. There is a word in Italian which is godere, which has no translation in English, but can loosely be translated into enjoyment, as in, an experience you are enjoying very much. You might hear it a lot, godo, and in very different situations. 
Godo is something you say when you've tried a really good sandwich with mortadella from the local shop. You can say it when the opposing team loses. You can say it when you're sitting on a bench and the sun is hitting your face just at the right spot. Ah, come godo. For Romans, it has always been okay to do something just for the enjoyment of it, even when that thing is quite extravagant. A good example is Augustus Caesar's wife dining room in Palazzo Massimi alle Terme. Her dining room has over 70 different species of flora and fauna painted on the walls, which she had frescoed. The flora theme also took on a symbolic meaning. The floridity of nature and its being always green was an allusion to the felicitas temporum, temporary happiness, made possible thanks to the Pax Augusta, a 69-year-long time span of Roman history identified as the golden era of Roman imperialism. You get into this room and you think, wow, this woman 2,000 plus years ago wanted to be surrounded by something beautiful just because it made her feel good. It makes you think of the importance of appreciating beauty simply because. Roman piazza culture. A word you hear and say a lot in Rome is piazza. Obviously, right? Like in all cities, big squares mean big buildings. And big buildings probably mean big museums or big attractions. Rome is no exception to this. Or actually, it might have just invented the trend. But Roman piazzas play another important role in the daily life here. A piazza is a meeting spot. It is every neighborhood's lighthouse, every block's port. It's a school's courtyard and the arrival gate in the airport. So before we embark on this hazy journey, let me ask you this. Ci vediamo in piazza? See you at the square? The thing I love the most about it is that I've rarely heard Roman friends mention which piazza they mean. There's some sort of implicit understanding of which one you're talking about. And it doesn't just depend on where you live. It depends on who you're talking to, or where you usually meet that person. It's a dance between friends and acquaintances, an impossibly accurate guessing game in which there is no wrong answer. It's quite romantic, actually, a sort of sign of respect for the person you're about to meet. Knowing which piazza your friend is talking about is definitely a show of love here. But let's break it down. First of all, there's piazze and piazzette, squares and little squares. Piazzette are usually the local beating heart of an area, filled with bars and bistros of all sorts. If it were a chess game, the piazzetta would be the queen. Not as imposing as the king, but more utilitarian and sometimes more important. Piazza Venezia might rule the Campitelli area, but no Roman will ever be seen sipping an aperitivo at the bars overlooking the massive altar of the Fatherland Monument that occupies one side of the square. Walk up a little bit into Monti, and you'll find its Roman heart, its very own piazzetta. Or walk along the side streets and find Piazza di Pietra, smaller, livelier, and definitely more local. The Monti Piazzetta is one of the most famous little squares in Rome, 
Aside from its coziness, it has the added value of being in Monti, a neighborhood that feels more like a little town than part of a big city. The actual name is Piazza Madonna dei Monti, but you rarely hear a Roman call it that. As the area is full of music schools, this particular piazzetta is where musicians go to relax or study their pieces, to think about what they're playing or not to think at all. And during the warmer months, as the sun takes longer to set, quiet ponderation will sometimes give way to impromptu concerts. The Jewish ghetto is home to another of these great small squares. It's called Piazza Mattei, but the Romans affectionately call it Piazza delle Tartarughe, due to the turtles found on the central fountain. It's less flamboyant than Monti's Piazzetta, but its charm is undeniable. During the day, this is where you'll see a lot of people basking in the sun, much like the turtles on the fountains. People tend to sit and absorb the sun rays in peaceful chatter, completely undisturbed by the queues at the incredible raw chocolate shop on the corner. It's called Grezzo, and I definitely recommend you try it. It's expensive, but you can get away with a bar of raw dark chocolate for about 4 euros. Chocolate aside, the ghetto's piazzetta has a few staple characters that seem to live most of their days here. If you stay in the area long enough to figure out who's who, it's honestly quite an endearing sight. It's that heartwarming feeling you get when you feel like you belong somewhere. That's what piazzette are to the people who visit them often. Let's head off to Trastevere. We've had our artsy monti and our relaxing ghetto. Now it's time for some chaotic fun. Piazza di Santa Maria in Trastevere is a melting pot of all things and people, and one of Rome's most ancient squares. It's an incredibly large piazza revolving around the basilica of the same name and the palace of San Callisto. There's always a bit of confusion on the actual name of the square, as Romans tend to shift between its actual name and San Callisto. If you visit during the evening, you'll probably be taken aback by how many people are here. You'll also notice it's a bit strange to see so many people at once doing basically nothing. Sure, it's going to be loud and the chatter is going to feel like an imperial choir, but no one's really doing anything aside from standing, drinking and talking. What can I say? We love loitering in the middle of the streets. If you want to join in the evening fun, head to Bar San Callisto. And if you're going for breakfast, bring a book with you and just relax. Hi, everyone. Circa is recruiting new concierges. A Circa concierge is a friend to ask anywhere in the world. Real people, on the ground, never bots. If you want to be a concierge for your city, go to circatravel.com to sign up. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms. And producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pleasure your senses.
On your Roman holiday, try to think of pleasuring all your senses. The smell of fresh flowers from Campo di Fiori Market, the incredible food you will eat to satisfy your taste buds, the spas you will go to to clear the mind and relax the body. And what about your eyes? Start at Giardino degli Aranci. Just off Circo Massimo, up a hill, Giardino degli Aranci is one of the most romantic spots in the city, with a breathtaking view and set in a garden of orange trees. If you happen to be in Rome in the spring, you will be enveloped with the smell of the orange flowers. Usually, buskers accompany the atmosphere. Rome often feels like a movie where everything has just been set up for you. Leave the garden through the main entrance and walk forward. You might notice a queue of people looking through a keyhole. This is Il Buco della Serratura dell'Ordine di Malta. Romans simply call it Il Buco, the hole. When you look inside the people of this Roman villa, which you may have seen in the film The Great Beauty by Sorrentino, you get a spectacularly framed view of one of Rome's most important monuments, the Dome of the St. Peter's Basilica. Another incredible place to view the city from is Giannicolo. Head there from Piazza Trilussa so you can walk through Trastevere, one of the most scenic neighborhoods in Rome. Make time to browse in the charming shops. Stroll around Trastevere and end up at the Fontana dell'Acqua di Paola. This is not very well known by tourists. But this fountain is deeply loved by us Romans. I find it to be one of the most beautiful in the city. In Rome, fountains are accompanied by their own little castle. In front of the Fontana dell'Acqua di Paola stands a 30 feet tall building built in 1612 to mark the end of the Paola Aqueduct. It takes the name from one of the popes, Paul V. With your back to the fountain, gaze at the incredible view of Rome as you hear the water flowing. The last time I went, the sun was coming down behind me, painting the city golden, and an incredibly huge full moon rose from the hills behind the city. Absolutely worth it. A more familiar type of wellness. I can definitely tell you one thing, that you will want a massage in Rome. Mainly for practical reasons. Most of the places you'll visit will have interesting things from floor to walls to ceilings. Your neck may begin to complain. If you want to relax for half a day or a whole day, I have just the place for you. Aquamadre in the ghetto has a Turkish bath and is located between ancient Roman ruins. This is one of the few places that will allow you to go back in time to when personal and group wellness was an integral part of daily life. The hammam costs 60 euros to enter, and you can stay for as long as you want. Bring your swimsuit, and it's useful to know that they rent flip-flops and peeling gloves for 10 euros there. If you want to splurge, their treatments are truly amazing as well. Rachel recommends the red clay mask facial, or the Dead Sea Mud Body Treatment. After the spa, you can enjoy a dinner at one of the incredible restaurants that the Jewish ghetto has to offer, like Piferno. For more modern luxury, try the spa at Hotel de la Ville. Not only does this hotel have one of the most beautiful terraces in Rome, but the owner Irene Forte is known for her knowledge of the latest trends in the luxury spa world. 
Expect innovative high-technology face and body treatments and an incredible attention to detail when it comes to atmosphere. Located on the top of the Spanish steps, which is a luxury in itself, the spa amenities will serve all your physical, emotional and spiritual needs. Finish your lush day on the hotel's terrace. It is truly marvelous and their spritz is to die for. If you are craving a healthy meal after some days of eating carbonara, we get it. Head to Asai Sisters, located near Piazza Venezia, a lovely place to have a healthy brunch or an acai bowl. The owner, Fiore, is an absolute delight and has put so much effort in the building and decoration of this place. Expect to be surrounded by beautiful fresh flowers. Though Rome is not much of a brunch place, the city is getting more and more accustomed to international eating habits. It hasn't been easy, but slowly Rome is welcoming a lot of places where you can enjoy a wonderful brunch. One of them is Marigold, in the up-and-coming Ostiense neighborhood. The owners, Sofia and Domenico, gather their ingredients from one of my favorite Roman parks, Villa Pamfidi. The place is incredibly warm and cozy and serves some of the best eggs benedict, as well as their own sourdough bread and homemade butter. The menu changes every week and depends on the season, a true farm-to-table scenario. Also in Ostiense, you can enjoy a plant-based dinner and maybe do some yoga at Yoga Ayur, which has slowly become the wellness mecca of Rome. You can get classes in both English and Italian. Top it off with a meal at their bistro, where the owner brings in produce from his far in Umbria, and then finish off your evening with a steam in the hammam. Check their website to reserve one of their classes. We'll put a link in the notes for you. Football culture. Leaving spa music and joint relieving massages behind us, it's a miracle we've spent so much time talking about Roman culture and haven't talked about football yet. Italians are notoriously great players, but even more so avid fans. If a city has two teams, the divide is a real issue in many friendships and a true form of camaraderie in others. Rome has two great rival football teams, AS Roma, with colors of yellow and red, and Lazio, in blue and white. Just as in England, when the two rival teams play each other, it is referred to as a derby, and the energy around the game soars. Football is an incredible icebreaker, immediate bonding potion, and either something to celebrate or something that will send you off to drown your sorrows. Supporting your team is a fixed weekly appointment in your calendar a chance to sit back and relax with your friends while hating on some opposing players and eating some delicious food. Given the huge pull it has on so many people, the city is bustling with bars and restaurants that cover their tills or walls with the team's colors and images. They have televisions in the room showing the various weekly games, and people just glance over at the screen while eating, curious to see what's happening. The TV is usually muted or the volume is quite low. But when it's an important match, all restaurants' etiquette is thrown out of the window, 
The volume is pumped up and instead of glancing, everyone is staring. Trattoria Monti, a great restaurant by the way, famously supports Aese Roma. You'll notice it as soon as you walk in. It's quite hard to miss the football shirts and scarves scattered across the walls. If you're rooting for Lazio, the other of Rome's teams, Grottino del Laziale is the restaurant you want to head to. It's even more in your face and proudly aware of it, so expect to be rewarded with love for food sprinkled with undying commitment to the team. But speaking of derbies, beware of when they're playing at the stadium. The whole area around the Olympic Stadium in Foro Italico is going to be packed with people and the streets flooded with traffic. So try to plan your day accordingly. In fact, the whole city will be affected by it. The hours leading to the match will be incredibly chaotic until, all of a sudden, you'll be surrounded by an eerie silence and empty streets. It's honestly impressive. If you didn't know there was a match, you'd probably think something incredibly serious was happening. It might seem superficial, but the whole city really does vibrate when the two teams face off. If you're in Rome during one of these Sundays, be prepared. Or go watch it. They sell tickets on the team's official sites. It's truly an experience. Just beware not to book tickets in the Curva areas. That's where the most loyal fans sit, and it might get a little heated. You never know. Roman Sundays, La Domenica. Like in most countries, Sundays are a day of rest and worship. While the worship part has increasingly lost its pull on the day, rest is definitely still holding strong. So much so that Sundays are quite irritating if you need to get anything sorted. As the city which holds within its lands the Vatican, Rome remains very linked to the traditional aspects of the day. Not so much because of the religious influence anymore, but because of another sacred mantra the locals firmly believe in. I refuse to work on a Sunday. Sundays will feel like a hazy mirage in a ghost town. There are, of course, some brave souls who decide to open up their shops for the mornings, but don't assume it's a given. The city center, often populated with tourists, is a bit more lively than the surrounding neighborhoods, so don't worry about not finding anything open if you're here on the weekend. Stick to the center and you're going to be fine. And most importantly, try not to wake up too late if you want to get anything done. If you're walking around in the morning, look out for people tentatively carrying huge packs of pastries. I promise they will be many, and they'll be the ones who are about to visit their nonne or nonni for lunch. If you pass by florists, you'll see people who are hosting an afternoon or evening meetup at their house with friends. They're also probably carrying around a bottle of wine in their bag, along with some fresh focaccia and bread. Everything is done in the first hours of the morning, before the shops close at 1 p.m. If, on the other hand, you have been living here for a while, or forever, you know that Sundays are built upon a specific type of foundation. A typical Sunday revolves around food, plain and simple. Sunday lunch is the equivalent of a Sunday roast in Britain and a Sunday brunch in the US. It's the main event of the day, the Piast de Résistance. 
Whether it's at home with your family or at a restaurant trying to cure your hangover, it's a must and no one ever skips it. If you miss Sunday lunch, you miss an opportunity to use as much time as possible to do things as slowly and effortlessly as can be done. Four hour long lunches, endless card games, long mindless strolls, prolonged afternoon coffees. The longer it takes you to do something you're enjoying, the better. That is a successful Sunday. There's one last piece of Roman culture it would be a crime not to convey. It's not linked to any day of the week nor any specific time. It's something you do with anyone you like hanging out with or anyone you feel happy to walk in silence with or alone. Ci prendiamo un gelato? Shall we get an ice cream? This one line holds in it the essence of a stroll, of serene content and of utter calm. It is an intimate activity that should not require any excessive use of energy. It's the simple pleasure of meeting up with someone for a little walk in your neighborhood and for a good old cone of artisanal ice cream. It's as endearing as a child's innocence, perfectly acceptable for celebrating a win or mourning a loss, blissful as a problem-free day. Getting gelato is the mantra of a happy soul. I will, of course, put some of my favorite gelaterias in the notes for you. Life just happens in the Eternal City, unexpectedly, spontaneously, without too much planning. And it might not be the most efficient way to live, but it works for us. It reminds us we are humans, not machines. Life is meant to be lived, not passed through. If there is one thing you should do in Rome, it's simply enjoy life. And I hope this episode has made it easier to understand how. Thanks for listening to our Rome Pop La Dolce Vita episode in Rome. Remember to check out the other Rome episodes in this guide for deeper dives into food, film, the Vatican, and much more. If you're heading to Rome right now, in the near future, or would just like to learn all about a place we truly love, you'll get instant access to the full guide, plus new episodes on a regular basis when you subscribe to Circa. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app where you can also get pictures and maps and notes to the places in this episode and more. Maybe you'll want to sample our guides for Mexico City, London, New York, LA, and many, many more. And many, many more to come. Circa. Love the world you live in and we'll help you explore it. <laughs>